Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. Hey, this is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business, and our show focuses on how you use your knowledge and expertise to help other people, to spread the word about your areas of expertise, and build your business. Pat Ballone is with me today, who is a chiropractor who lives in the Virginia area, and we met through a JV partnership community. Pat has written a book, and... I'm delighted to have her as a guest on the show. Hi, um, thank you so much for having me here, Pat. And it's always a pleasure to spend some time with you. Let's talk about your book, Pat. I know that when in our preliminary conversation before we sat down to record this, that you told me that it, it had a health and wellness focus. Can you tell us the title of the book? Uh, the title of the book is Why Are You Sick, Fat and Tired? And it's a book that's a guidebook, a workbook, and a, um, an advocating tool for anybody who wants to find out where their weakest link in their health is, do something about it, and move forward and fix it. That's an intriguing description. First of all, let's talk about the title. Why are you sick, fat, and tired? How did you come up with that title? Well... I looked around, you know, one day I was walking through Boston years ago and um, I looked around and I thought, God, all these people are sick and they don't even know it. And that's always stuck with me. And how I came up with the title is because a lot of times people are aware of certain things and not aware of other things about their health. You know, like they will have a symptom that comes up that they just kind of shoo aside or they're in denial about it. And, but, you know, you can tell if you're fat, basically, and you can tell if you're tired, but a lot of people that sick part is the part that's the question mark. And so when people, if they pay attention to those small little signs and symptoms along the way, which I call Grim Reaper syndrome, then what happens is, is that they have an opportunity to act sooner than later and not wait for themselves to be in such a health crisis that you, that's sometimes you can't do anything. Let's talk a little bit more about that Grim Reaper syndrome. That's an attention getter. Can you elaborate on that? Well, there's a lot of signs and symptoms that people have that are, um, you know, that, that you have and you don't think about. Or you say, you know, um, when I can remember telling a girlfriend of mine that I said, God, I go, I just have this really funny foot pain you know, that's in the arch of my foot. I've never had that before. And she said, oh, I had that. It goes away. <laughs> and so when I went back and looked at it, what I actually did is, you know, that with that particular point at an acupuncture, you know, related to back to like liver function. And shortly after that, I had some, a small issue that was not medical emergency, but it made me pay attention because I took a, the questionnaire in my book and I found that I had some liver values that were going up. <laughs> and so I did my own program. <laughs> that was the first thing. Mm-hmm. How did you learn about acupuncture? I'm sorry, what? How did you learn about acupuncture? 
I am an acupuncturist. I'm a, I have a master's in oriental medicine and I also uh, am licensed in a few states in acupuncture. So I have my master's and I have my licensure and I'm a diplomate. And was I correct in saying you are a chiropractor as well? Yes, I, I am. My first training is as a chiropractor. Then I studied sports medicine. And then I went on my, to my father's chagrin <laughs> and had a couple more other you know, certifications um, in physical therapy and, um, and in nutrition. Nutrition has always been a big part mm-hmm. of my interest ever since I was a little kid. You know, so the, that's always been um, a key point. And I always looked at if things tasted good to me or if I gravitated towards them, I would you know, investigate them a little bit more. When I was nine years old, as a matter of fact, I called my father up at work. My father was a VP at LA Chemicals at the time. And I said, can you bring me home some phenolphthalein? Ah. And he said, what do you need phenolphthalein for? And I said, well, I'm doing a science project um, that's acid-based indicators. And so I need, I go, I don't have enough in my chemistry kit. And um, so he brought me home phenolphthalein and we did the project. And my teacher was so impressed with my project that he sent it to the state. And I came in second in place. Science has always been a big part for me. An easy interest. You know, my brother, when he was little, he used to uh, make his own homemade caps in the backyard. He had, he wanted explosives and gunpowder so he could slam that material with his rock. So I think... Mm -hmm acid base sounds pretty benign in comparison to some of the things <laughs> that you could have been involved in. Well, something to know about phenolphthalein is they used to put it in um, beer as a preservative. And so it, and I could never figure out how something that was, would test either acid, if it was acid or base would be, you know, could, would be useful as a preservative. I've never actually scoped that out or did any more investigation, but I like caps too, by the way, when I was a kid, I used to, <laughs> make them. <laughs> and what we learned in nursing school is that if you combine an acid and a base, you make salt. Mm-hmm. And, and that was stuck in my head. And then one day I forgot that equation and I was pulling up, I think it was Demerol hydrochloride and sodium phenobarbital. And I mixed them in the same syringe. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I know it was Demerol. I'm not sure about the second ingredient, but as I was staring in horror, the syringe turned to this white solid salt. And I thought, oh, that's right. That's where the base makes the salt. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, they didn't lie. <laughs> <laughs> they told you the truth. There are reasons behind those rules, Pat. Mm-hmm. I know. Reasons. I mean, when you look at a, a chemist, uh, a chart, a periodic chart, which has all the elements on it, I always found, you know, like when you understand how they put whatever they put there in the molecular weight and how things go together and how many valences, which means how many electrons on the outside are available for it, then you start, you know, paying attention. So when I hear things that have benzene rings in them, I'm always going cancer, <laughs> stay away from those, stay away from those, you know, cause a lot of cleaning fluids um, today have benzene rings in them. You have to be really careful things that are bought over the counter like that. I have a son who's very sensitive to chemicals and he uses all natural cleaners. He doesn't mm-hmm. like perfumes, colognes, mm-hmm. anything that is scented is mm-hmm. very irritating for him. And we're fortunate yeah. there is that type of alternative product on the market. 
Mm -hmm. It's great. I use a lot of essential oils, you know, for cleaning products and mm -hmm. for, you know, when I'm drinking water, I'll, you know, uh, therapeutic grade, I'll use lemon, lime, grapefruit. I never use orange. Orange I've used um, as an experiment um, on my toothpaste. And I put a drop of it on my toothpaste and it really helps whiten your teeth. Um, and along with, you know, your toothpaste, but you've got to be careful about your toothpaste too, because a lot of it has carrageen and xylitol. And if you look at the label, I just taught a class, it looks at, at the label of the back of a toothpaste tube. It says on it, uh, call poison control if swallowed. <laughs> and we all, when we brush our teeth, because it has sodium fluoride in it. And the fluoride is a neurotoxin. So, um, but if you ever look on the back of any like crest, any of those toothpaste, it clearly says that on almost every one of them that I've ever seen. Wow. That's Grim Reaper. <laughs> that is the Grim Reaper. <laughs> Who was the audience that you wrote your book for? Um, you know, I first, when I first wrote this book, I was thinking, I wanted to be able to have anybody who had kids who were um, at least the age of 11 years old to be able to understand it. And um, so my book is written for anybody who's alive and breathing and who might, and people who want to have better health, they want to be more productive. They want to be more prosperous. They want to have a good mindset. Um, so it's, it's written for, you know, male, female, um, you know, if a, a child, I uh, have coached children also, but their parents have helped them with the answers, you know, so I'm always, you know, looking at, is that your answer? Or is that your kids? But the funny thing is that you'll love is that um, my book was one of my edits I did was with an 11 year old kid. And my rule with him was that I gave him a um, highlighter and said, highlight any word you don't understand. And you don't know what the meaning of it is. And so, and I, and I had to pay him, of course, because now kids don't do anything for free. <laughs> and so, um, so he did that. And then I said, but here's the rule, because it was going to be a teaching expedition too. So I go, you open a dictionary, you find out what that word means. And you give me a word that means something to you that means the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so, and he did it. And like, you know, I would never play Scrabble with this kid ever. <laughs> and his mother is a really great Scrabble player, you know, and they've always played that. So he's, he's comes from a family that does a lot of reading um, and who's, you know, there um, he has a, a vast knowledge of the English language, even at the age of 11, he was really good. He was very, very helpful for me um, in regards to that. Cause I say that I wrote the book in street language and, um, and how that ended up coming about is that when I was giving the same questionnaire to my uh, patients at the time and clients, and they would leave sections of it empty. And then I would have to stop when I would, went to go do their, you know, when we were talking about it and then go over those sections and like, how come you didn't answer this? And it was always because I really don't understand what they're asking. And then when I explained it, they were going, oh, well, then that number, you know, the number value for that is X, Y, Z, because the books, those um, chapters are questionnaires and they're questionnaires about each organ system and, um, and how they enter. And when I look at the whole snapshot, I can look at how the organ systems, how well the organ systems are working with each other. So, you know, but I, what I found is that, you know, the reason why I wanted to write it in quote unquote street languages so that even an 11 year old kid could understand what was being asked of them, you know, but a lot of people look at this book as for a new year's resolution 
Um, they look at it as something going on. I, all my new clients get this book um, and we go over what the questions mean. It's like, where are you at? Where do you want to go? And how do you get there? What's the, what's the best route to get from point A to point C? You said two intriguing things here. The idea of having a reviewer be at a specific grade level fascinates mm -hmm. me. In the healthcare field, I was always as a nurse interested in patient education and teaching mm -hmm. patients and you know the old um, guideline. It used to be right at a eighth grade level. Now I heard sixth grade. I've even heard fourth grade when it comes mm -hmm. to writing materials for patients. But the connection that you made was, what was interesting to me was actually find a person who's at that grade level and find out if it's comprehensible. Mm -hmm. Because we can rely on our word processor to tell us at the end of our writing our page or our chapter or our book, what is the reading level, you know, mm -hmm. by looking at those scales but maybe that's not the same as handing the marker to the person who's at that grade level and saying, here, do you understand what I wrote? No, it, it was funny too. My, the same person's father was sitting there and I said to him, do you have, I go, do you have um, hand ping? You know, or, or I asked him, I said, do you have arm ping? And um, he said, no. And so his daughter said, dad, you have hand ping. And he goes, yeah, but that's my hand. And I said, the hand's connected to the arm. <laughs> and, and it, you know, so we had to go back to, you know, like when we asked a specific question about where somebody had pain, we had to go back and re-explain like, you know, in the whole arm, <laughs> do you have any pain? Because we couldn't make up another space to have a question like, do you have hand, like hand pain in that, for instance? Mm -hmm. And that, so it, it was interesting to look at you know, how different people perceive the same question um, and ended up with like, you know, like in, in that instance, you know, and then the, the grandson was sitting there and just said, you know, arm, shoulder, <laughs> arm, hand, grandpa, they all fit together, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. It was really cute. <laughs> That's when he was adorable. <laughs> And I think the other piece that I, I find intriguing is going through the book with your patients. You've turned this into a accommodation educational piece as well as an assessment piece mm -hmm. in your business, working as a healthcare provider with people who are coming to you to get help with those um, syndromes, you know, the Grim Reaper syndromes, the things that are going to be making us sick. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's like, I'm right now in um, the middle of doing an online course, um, delivering it. And, um, you know, that's that part of it and having that ability to um, share that knowledge from that, because I always go over, I have question. I have a lot of questionnaires that I give people, which mean different things to me, which depending upon the person and what their goals are and what you know, be, from their conversation gives me a lot of information to be able to explain to them. And as simplistic, simpler, not always easier, but simpler ways so that they can understand what the big picture is. Because a lot of times uh, what I find with a lot of people is that they have that, 
you know, they, they get stuck on the idea of, you know, um, I have um, cardiovascular disease in my family. And so therefore they're going to have cardiovascular disease in their family. And I, I was like, well, do you, do you know why your family has cardiovascular disease? <laughs> and people look very blank. And I said, so let's, you know, let's explore possibilities of why that could possibly be. And I always go to that story about the little girl asking her grandmother or asking her mother about why do you cut the end of the ham off? Do you know that story? I do. You do. It's a beautiful story because we all do things because it, you know, somebody else did them ahead of us. And this in the story goes is that her mother didn't know. So she said, ask your grandmother. Her grandmother comes over and asks her grandmother, why do you cut the end of the ham off? She goes, because it didn't fit in the pan. <laughs> you know, it's something so simple, but we don't understand sometimes why we do the activities that we do. Um in our daily lives, you know, so that that's something that's always, you know, I always like, we got to look at, well, why, you know, what would make it easier? What would be the outcome, you know, and, and ask some of those questions and keep on kind of drilling in that so that you think outside your box. I have one better for you, Pat, which is that there was a guy who wanted to use that example of cutting off the ends of the ham before mm -hmm. putting it in the oven. Mm -hmm but he couldn't really remember the exact details. So he said, you know, it's like when you bake a cake and you cut off the ends of the cake before you put it in the oven. <laughs> That's a good one. I'm going to keep that one. I'm going to make a note of that. <laughs> and you sit there and you think, well, obviously you've never seen liquid cake batter go into a pan, sir. <laughs> <laughs> for, for sure. You've probably seen cakes that haven't been cooked all the way, you know, because they're gooey in the center, but not the ends. <laughs> It's not always easy to transition to a different example without thinking through the facts of what you're about <laughs> to say. And of course, all the people in the audience who are listening to him are going, what? what? <laughs> it's what? clear he's never what? baked a cake before. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> Oh. Now you have this book that you wrote um, about being sick, tired, and fat. I think the order was maybe a little different. Is it? Mm -hmm. It was sick, fat, sick, and tired. Sick, fat, and tired. <laughs> and you put that together. Now you've got an online course that you're creating from that content. Is that what I understand? Well, I use the book as a tool in the course. I call the course Stronger Than Medicine. Uh -huh. And um, the, with the idea that, you know, somebody asked me one time when I was in my practice, I had a really busy practice. And they're going, Dr. Pat, how do you do it? I mean, seriously, people who are in business, they're like, how do you do it? I don't know how you get your energy. And I said, well, first off, I love what I'm doing. Secondly, I pace myself. And thirdly, I stay in, I didn't call it that at that time. I go, I called it then at that time, my vibe, you know, now I would call it more like Einstein's time. And then I would, um, you know, and, and then I said, you have to eat really, really well. And you have to think really good thoughts. And for me being a chiropractor, and this doesn't happen for every chiropractor, but for me being a chiropractor, I got adjusted every week. I had adjusted 52 adjustments minimum a year. 
And so I made sure that I structurally was sound and I needed that because I had my job was very, very physical and I needed to be able to think very clearly. And I needed to think on a dime because I had people in four rooms constantly going from the time I walked in. And so I had a way I needed a way to like organize my thoughts for each person Um, and, you know, and then ask the appropriate questions when they were there. So that was always, um, you know, Somebody just said to me, like, you know, how do you do it? And I said, I think I'm a woman. I think multidimensionally. <laughs> and I have space, and I can think, I can see the big picture. I know where I'm going and I can see the pieces of the puzzle before I go down the alley. And so I know where I'm, I know basically where I'm going. But I love, I, it's always been, I thought it was just normal for everyone to do that. But um, mm-hmm. someone told me that like, that's a gift. But I always made sure that I ate very clean and I ate really well. And also, I had a technique for going to sleep when you can't go to sleep. Um, and my technique was that if I couldn't go to sleep, I would just at that point in time, I had a dictaphone. So I would just say whatever was on my mind. And then I would shut it off and say, is there anything I could do about it? And if the answer was yes, I turned the lights on, got up, did it. And then I erased it off my dictaphone. So I didn't have to listen to it ever again. Uh And then, but if not, then I waited till the morning and I went in and I gave my dictaphone to my, um, uh, my office manager and said, transcribe this. <laughs> and then she, like an hour later, she'd put the sheet of paper on my desk. And so then I would say, then I would tackle it. What can I do about this today? And so I always tried to go to, to sleep with a clean slate. Um, and, and then when, if I couldn't sleep, then I would listen to meditation music. Now I listen to binaural beats. To who? Binaural beats. Binaural beats. Binaural beats. Um, and what they are, you can listen to, you can find them. There's tons of them on YouTube. And what I do is just play them in the, the background. I look at what the purpose and the frequency of the binaural beat is. And then I'll listen to it for a couple minutes. And if it drives me crazy, I'll go find another one. Um, so I listen to something that energetically for me, like sounds nice. Like when you're going to listen to jazz music or, but if you like bass, you're going to hate the jazz music. So it's, it's like picking what ever is, you know, very familiar with you. And then it creates a peaceful moment and you can fall asleep. Hmm. Interesting. You know, and if you wake up between one and three o'clock, I used to tell patients of mine all the time to get up and take uh, on my fingers, this much lemon juice to that much water, like in a small kind of rock glass, you know, and toss it you know, down your throat. And um, people are like, why does that work? And I said, well, lemon juice is acid and it's like helps the stomach soothe itself, especially if you ate later, you know, it helps the liver do stuff. It helps the gallbladder do stuff. And it's just, it's a soothing kind of drink to have. And then, um, you know, and then you wake up more refreshed than before. It's just something I've done for years. Who are listening to this rather than watching the video on our YouTube channel? Can you describe what you just did with your hands? I can. <laughs> um, if you look at your baby finger and your baby fingers, not the knuckle, and if you put your hand in front of you, what you want to do is you want to have in a kind of a rock glass that you would have maybe a whiskey sour or something like that. If you have those kind of things, um, 
you would have, um, you would put lemon juice in, fresh lemon juice up for that baby finger. And then you would have three, your, your ring finger, middle finger, and first finger would be the, the amount of water that you would have in the glass. That's approximately one eighth part lemon juice, would you say from looking? Um, I would say it would be if for, you know, um, if I was going to say the uh, ratio was three to one. Three to one. You know, and the one being a little bit less than one. Okay, so about 75% water and 25% lemon juice. Right. It's tart. I mean, you'll it want to kiss somebody. <laughs> it's like, make you pucker right up. <laughs> you kiss the person who's sleeping in the bed next to you, but... My dog. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I don't know if your dog would be particularly receptive to a kiss in the middle of the night. No, <laughs> he just, you know, he just like rolls over and just... <sighs> <laughs> he has that just like a little sigh, like if I just like reach over and just pat him on his head mm. and that. So he's, he's, he's been, I've had him for almost 16 years. So we have a, we have familiarity <laughs> of trying to share the same safe. Sometimes I just kick him right off the bed. So you got to get off the bed. You're keeping me up. <laughs> but I'm, an, I'm definitely, I, I love dogs. I've had dogs my whole life <laughs> for sure. Is there anything else that you would like to share about your book, the process of writing your book, um, what you learned about writing a book as you were going through it? Sure. You know, when I first wrote this book, you know, um, somebody suggested to me um, that I was going to write a book. And I just said, I don't think so. I don't want to write a book. And then as time went on, like, it's like they planted that seed. They never, I never saw the person ever again. Um, and then I, one day I woke up early, early, early in the morning. And uh, when it was my friend who lived in Arizona, I called up and said, if I wrote a book that asked you questions so that you could identify where your health link is the weakest in a way for you to do something about it, would you buy it? He goes, absolutely. <laughs> so, and, um, he said, I go, well, Okay. And he goes, when you, and he goes, are you going to do that? And I said, I am. I just don't know when. So that might've been like maybe in 2016. And then one day I woke up, so I couldn't figure out how to get that together. And all of a sudden I had this vision in my head about how to put it together. So when I first wrote it, I just wrote it as like a business card. And when I took it to the, when my, took my rough draft to the publisher who helped me published the book um, and who ultimately published it. So I had some a person before that, but that did not work out. She just said to me, you know, and I had my endorsements. She said, I go, don't we need to shorten these endorsements? And I said, there's some of them are really long. And she said, Pat, you never shorten a good endorsement. And she goes, do you know what you really wrote? And it's very, people tell me I'm, it's very organized. I'm very left brain. So for me, it's just natural, like, you know, here's the reason, here's how to start reading this book. Here's what to do with it. Here's the questions and how to answer it. And here's what you can do afterward. There's a call to action of like what you can take this information to any learned physician in functional medicine or lifestyle medicine, and they can help you, you know, assess where, what your health chart looks like. So um, and I had a person who did left me a review who kept on contacting me and saying, 
well, what can you do for myofibralgia? And I said, well, I said, you didn't read the book. <laughs> when you read the book, you know, you know, give me a call back. And then she called me up and asked me about some other ailment. What can you do about that? I said, you didn't read the book. And so when, um, I, and then I didn't hear from her. So I figured she didn't leave me, you know, any, a review on Amazon. And then she said to me, um, I said to her, asked her how she was doing because she was in my business group. And she said, you know, she goes, I'm doing really good. She said, you know what? Your book was really helpful because what it made me realize is that the traditional Western medicine mode is that they don't know how to diagnose until you have a flat tire, you know, and then they can do something about it. She said, my doctors never asked me those questions, <laughs> you know, when I ever been to them, when they've done a system survey, and they've gone through all the organ systems in the body. Mm -hmm. So I just went, wow, I was so surprised. I went like, thank you so much. You know, I really appreciate that. And I think a lot of people, you know, when you, when they look at their, it's like, I made it simpler. Um, I, you know, made sense. I gave people a different venue of how to like get out of that being stuck and, and so they could move forward. Um, by finding out that weakest link, you can do things about it now, as opposed to a lot later. And Right. And that's, that's an important thing, especially in preventative medicine, which is a big key component in Western medicine anyway. But um, looking at the reason, because you have to find out what the root problem is, you know, you can handle and manage uh, signs and symptoms, but you, if you can find out what the root problem is, you can sometimes reverse whatever um, is the issue. Like for instance, a lot of times in uh, type two diabetes, for instance, you can have a total reversal of that. It given you have to have the right components, mm -hmm. you know, so if all the pieces of the puzzle are there, then you, there's more um, opportunity to have really great success. How can our listener find out more about you, about the book, about the services that you offer? Well, you can find me on Amazon, of course, for the book, Why Are You Sick, Fat, and Tired? Um, I have a website called healthteamnetwork.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn um, and under like Dr. Papalone, Instagram, same thing. And I have a Facebook page. I have a personal page. Um, and uh, also I have... Um, you know, I have a telephone number. <laughs> I always let people, I don't always give it out on air, but um, there's a way in the back of the book, there's a whole list of ways to get a hold of me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Pat. We appreciate those insights. You've given me some new things to think about, and I've enjoyed hearing about your journey as an author. So, uh, thank you for being on the show. Thanks. It's my pleasure. We'll see what my next book is. <laughs> Thank you. And for you who's been watching this on our YouTube channel or listening on our audio platform, thank you for investing your time getting these tips. Hopefully it's given you some things to think about. Maybe you view your health a little differently. You've gotten some solid tips, some wellness tips. And be sure to go to patire.com. Check out our free reports on the homepage. Uh, we just loaded a new one on capitalizing on your book, How to Earn Big Bucks. So be mm -hmm. sure to get that report on patire.com and come back next week for a new interview. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business. I just finished interviewing 
speaker, coach, entrepreneur, writer, artist, Terry Pappy, about her journey in writing her books and how her books have led to other opportunities for her. Terry, can you give our listener or our viewer just a few tidbits about the topics that we covered in your podcast? Yeah, you know, Pat, it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I think that, you know, you asking a question right when we started off about what got me started writing, you know, how did that all happen? That was a wonderful story to kind of share with your audience. And what it did was it really helped me step into powerfully being a writer, like owning I'm an author. And then I think the other important aspects of our conversation, which I think your listener is going to really appreciate, is how important it is to craft your book and think of the consumer of that book and how you can better serve them throughout your whole business spectrum. So as you're writing, make sure that you're connecting other things you do in your business into the story, into the training, into the information that you're putting in your book. It will actually shift how you're writing about it and will also give you many, many more opportunities to grow your business, to increase awareness around your brand and to help you niche your uh, particular thought leadership so people know you are the go-to person. Be sure to watch Terry Pappy's podcast, that's T-E-R-R-Y-P-A-P-P-Y, as she shares how she structured her books deliberately to break one of the big taboos that we have when it comes to books and how she's used her books in her business. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.